Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Howard Smith, and I'll be your host for today's program, New Business Paradigms, Conscious Commentary on Business and Society with Ronaldo Brutico. Ronaldo, as you all well know, is the president of the World Business Academy, and I'm a member of the board of directors of the Academy, as well as a vice president and wealth advisor with Morgan Stanley Smith Barney. For those of you who would like to find out more information about the Academy or send us uh, comments, questions, and so forth regarding uh, the call, you can simply go to www.worldbusiness.org. Uh, during today's program, which is somewhat jam-packed, Ronaldo will be covering an, several broad topics. We'll also have a guest interview, and uh, as usual, we'll be doing our lightning round. We'll have questions and comments from you, our audience. We already do have several comments and questions in the queue, which we received by email. We'll be uh, sort of putting those together and, and bringing them up to Ronaldo's attention later on in the show. And as always, one of the purposes of these monthly calls is to present you, our members and listeners, with concrete, actionable ideas. Today, we're going to focus on the following. First, Ronaldo and I will be talking with our guest, Alan Tratner. Alan is the founder of Green to Gold and is a legendary California entrepreneur and environmentalist who has specialized in identifying opportunities to profit from green technologies. Our second main topic is going to be the likelihood that the U.S. economic recovery will continue through the November election, and as it does, whether it will be stronger, relatively flat like now, or even slower. And again, on our Renald, I'm sorry, on our lightning round, we're going to do a series of quick insights and comments on various asset classes such as bonds, equities, gold, real estate. And today, we're going to take a particular quick and emphatic look at fracking natural gas, um, some of the other environmental issues related to how this affects us. We're also going to be touching on the U.S. housing market, uh, silver, and a few other little areas of uh, coming up under current events. And with that, Ronaldo, I'm going to turn it back to you. As always, the purpose of these monthly calls is to share with our members and listeners and viewers concrete actionable ideas that reflect the World Business Academy's desire to bring socially conscious Practices on Business and Society. Can you expand upon this, given the latest uh, current events, for our audience and explain exactly what this means or entails in today's environment? Well, thank you, Howard. Good morning, and and, and hello to everyone out there. It's a delight to do these monthly phone calls because it gives me both the opportunity and the necessity to stop and pause and and, and take uh, inventory, so to take stock of the situation we find ourselves in from day to day and month to month and year to year. Uh, one of the things that I, uh, I'm pleased about is those of you who listen to the show regularly for the last three or four months, we started telling you about three or four months ago that we thought the housing market was bottoming out and probably was about to turn up any moment. And then last month we told you the turn had happened. And since we mentioned that just last month, Virtually all the traditional media now are reporting that, in fact, yes, the housing market is turning up. In fact, today's uh, one of the lead stories today is how 700,000 houses uh, in the first quarter uh, have returned to positive equity values just in the first quarter of this year, meaning where the homeowner was underwater with their equity, meaning they owed more than the house was worth. 700,000 of those houses alone in the first quarter have now risen above uh, the waterline which makes for um, fewer foreclosures in the future, and it makes for people taking a deep breath going, okay, they're not going to lose their life savings. We believe that you'll see this the second quarter, well, that trend will continue. Housing prices have turned up in most of the major U.S. markets. Um, the prices themselves are firming, but more importantly, the volume of, of, of inventory uh, is dropping, which is triggering uh, more housing starts which is very, very good for the economy because not only does it employ the carpenters and the electricians and um, all the other tradesmen, but it also requires then new appliances, new rugs, etc. So the, the housing bubble is probably behind us, the worst part of that python, uh, the worst part of the elephant's gone through the python. And where we are now is on the upswing of that, which will continue to help the U.S. Uh, for many of you who have been listening now, you know, Quite a few months ago, I was saying that I thought the U.S. economy would be lucky to do 2.5% this year, uh, 2 to 2.5%. I, I now think that number is going to be lower. Uh, the Fed lowered its number to 2.4 from 2.9. I'm going to say that uh, we'll be delighted to do about 2% if we can this year. And I'm going to call it again at 1.5 to 2%, which I think we called it about two months ago. 
Yeah. Right. You know, I'd like to add in there, too, that a recent statistics this week also noted that the use of personal credit cards is back up to the highest level it's been since 2007. So that is definitely a sign about consumer spending is beginning to increase, as well as people yep. taking up a little bit more debt. But that people feel comfortable using their cards is a significant factor. Yeah, there's no question. And, and um, the um, there's, there's some more good news I want to give you. Uh, um, the bad news is about the uncertainty in the economy, and I'm going to tell you what that's all about in a moment. But the good news is um, the GAO, the Government Accounting Office, has now released a report on the first year of life under Obamacare, uh, or the Affordable Care Health uh, Affordable Health Care Act, which I think is a better name for it. But I guess, but Obama would be very pleased now to have his name associated with it because the um, the GAO, the Government Accounting Office, has reported that the savings that were anticipated from that act um, actually are now running quite a bit ahead, even though only about 20 percent of the act has already been put in place. More of it is to come if um, Obama is reelected. But to give you an example, 73 um, percent of young adults increased coverage, just in that category alone, 73% increased coverage. Uh, seniors um, have over uh, saved over $2.1 billion on drugs since the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Um, nearly 40 million women and 28 million children uh, are now no longer going to be subject to predatory lifetime limits on their insurance plans. Um, uh, the fact that you won't be denied coverage for so-called pre-existing illnesses which affects so many families across America, including mine, frankly. Um, this is all when, going when, to when all does that When does that kick in on pre-existing illnesses? Because I'm it's hearing in. stories from people that they're being still being denied coverage. Yeah, it's in now, and the reason why is because the mechanism for the local uh, exchanges is not operating, so the, 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 the market has not realigned itself yet. But the, the requirement is for that to start happening, and it will begin now unless the, the law is reversed. In, in after the November elections. Uh, another example, though, is in Rick Perry, for example, the Republican governor of Texas, has declared that not only will he refuse to put up an insurance exchange, he refuses to take the state's extra money for the, for the Medicare benefits. So the seniors in Texas will not be doing as well as the seniors, say, in Florida or in the United States, in um, California. And, and by the way, I just opened an envelope yesterday with a whopping refund from my health care carrier, Anthem, Blue Cross, because they were forced to begin refunding this year, just started happening, if their overhead expenses were greater than 25%. And they, therefore, they put too much into overhead and too little to coverage, and they had to rebate me. And I got a rebate for me and for each of my dependents in separate checks. I got to tell you, I loved opening that envelope. I got a $1,500 rebate just yesterday, all because of the Affordable, Care, Affordable Health Care Act, or as it's called, Obamacare. Now, at the same time all these benefits are occurring, and by the way, I predict that the savings under the Affordable Health Care Act will exceed two and a half to five billion more in the next five years, minimum, minimum or better, provided it's not overturned. Now, the Supreme Court has said it's constitutional, so the only way it can be overturned is if Obama loses the White House and or both houses of Congress and caves to the Republicans, which I don't think he will. So unless Obama is defeated, if he's not defeated, you can count on all these benefits, particularly the seniors and young people and women will get all these benefits, and they're going to save 2 to $5 billion more on top of the benefits they're already getting because of Affordable Health Care Act. And there's one last piece that's excellent, and that is this. We have seen now that the insurance exchanges in those states, which will be setting up, which is virtually every state, will force competitive bidding. Now remember, Medicare functions with only... 5% overhead costs. Insurance companies are allowed to charge up to 25% overhead costs before the penalty kicks in and they have to send me a refund like they just did. Well, those private jets, those play people fly around in, all that exhaustive overhead for CEOs, all of that gets included in the 25%. So in a competitive insurance exchange system, which is what's coming, I don't think the companies are going to be limited by the 25%. I think they're going to have to get closer to the 5 or 10% that's at 10%, percent they'd be twice as inefficient as Medicare. At 15%, they're three times as inefficient. So I believe they will force each other to become more efficient because the comparison is, look how much in, less expensive Medicare is than the private insurance system. So I'm very excited about this as a benefit to the American economy as well as housing. Now, what's holding it back is uncertainty. We're going to touch on that in a little bit, including what's holding housing back some more, because I have a very specific question on that. 
I want to just talk about uncertainty for one second, and then we'll, we can go to the next item in the, in the program. Uncertainty in this particular point of time is not any longer, in my mind, about will consumers spend. They will. Howard just gave you the statistic. It's already happening. The uncertainty is in the hands of business, who is sitting on trillions and trillions of dollars that they don't want to invest. Why? Because they don't know what's going to happen in the next election. It's that simple. Business is pouring so much money into this race to defeat Obama that for the first time in the history of the United States, an incumbent president, two months in a row, has not been able to raise as much money as his Republican business challenger. More importantly, those statistics, which are very revealing, $71 billion for, Rom, uh, for Obama, $106 billion, $106 million rather, for Romney, $71 million for Obama last month. But even more compelling is that doesn't include the five to $600 million that was raised in the same period by so-called super PACs because of Citizens United. So it is likely that Obama will be going into this final election, his re-election, probably outspent at least eight to one, nine to one conceivably, which is exactly what Romney did to his challengers in the primaries. And that's what's going to happen again. And what the question will be is will the American public be smart enough to, to vote their own self-interest, lower health care costs? By the way, the two to half to five billion savings I just referred to, that doesn't even include what will happen if Obama's reelected and the government begins to negotiate for drugs the same way that every other industrial nation in the world does, because 40% of everybody's prescription drug costs will be eliminated. That's an amazing number, 40%. You're talking hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in savings. And that's all going to happen if Obama's reelected. Affordable health care is going to be gone if he's not. So I think the public has more vested interest in this election than at any time since 1932. That's when Herbert Hoover ran against FDR. Right. We're going to get into that after after the mid-session uh, of the thing. But it's time now, Ronaldo, to bring Alan on. And so let me open up his line and check, make sure Alan is there. I am Alan? here, gentlemen. I am here. Good morning. Alan, how are you? I am fine, sir. I hope you are all so fine. We're, we're great. Alan, you know, we, we said in our uh, in our little notice we said of this, of this uh, show that you really are a double pioneer. You're, 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 you're a California entrepreneur of extraordinary reputation in history, and you're a, an environmentalist for at least the 25 or 30 years I've known about your work. And I just want to compliment you for how long you've consistently held those two positions and just kept working and working. <laughs> well, as you know, I was lucky enough back in uh, May to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award 40-plus years from the International Green Industries Hall of Fame. So it's just thrilling to have pioneered another sector that could really make a difference on this planet, both for economic, sustainable economic development, wealth creation, uh, investor opportunities, entrepreneurs, innovation, invention in the green sector, uh, renewable energy, sustainability. I, you know, I'm just proud of that. And it wasn't, you know, I'm not a one-man show. We had a board of directors, great organization, a lot of support from Hollywood and from the investor community, uh, and certainly all the inventors and entrepreneurs, 100,000 members we've enjoyed, and then plus the media exposure, like we're doing today with you, uh, you know, being on Oprah and Good Morning America and CNN and a million other things and Forbes and Wall Street Journal never hurt our cause. So I, I'm thrilled to – and now the new pioneering area that we're about to talk to about today, the California Space Enterprise Center. Yeah, Alan, I've, I've seen you're really you're, – we've had some really great meetings. I want to tell people that we've been having meetings here with Alan. Uh, we've had three now and is a very talented associate, Eileen, uh, uh, that we're, where we've been talking about this really innovative – uh, situation that Alan's about to describe. Um, he has become a key player in helping the state of California, specifically the city of Lompoc, uh, adjacent to the Vandenberg Air Force Base, uh, take a giant leap into the commercial exploitation, exploration, and commercialization of space. You want to just start talking about that, Alan? We're, I'm fascinated. Yeah, yeah this is an area I'm not familiar with as well, Alan, so I'd love to hear what you're doing. Howard, this is, and Ronaldo, this is so exciting. 
as a kid, when I grew up, and I know Ronaldo was really into this too, and we've expressed that in an exchange. That you know, I dreamed of being an astronaut. I loved space. I loved the Walt Disney stuff that was on early, you know, in my life on the fifties and sixties on television, and going to space and space stations, and and then obviously the big rush that was the Apollo stuff and going to the moon. And then I was thrilled to have Buzz Aldrin actually on our board of advisors for a long time and work with him on energy projects and invention and stuff. And throughout my life, in parallel to inventing entrepreneurship in the green sector, I was interacting with astronauts uh, and had actually did a big major event in Houston um, at the uh, center there and got a chance to play with all the equipment and go through the same kind of training that the astronauts do and and we did a National Inventive Thinking Association uh, pro- project there, and, and I presented. So I, I've been – this interaction between the planet Earth and science, technology, and entrepreneurship, inventing, and, and space has been extraordinary. It's just a funny thing that uh, Destiny brought me into. And what happened is that uh, several years ago, um, I got involved, our institution, the Green to Gold, the Environmental Education Group, uh, got connected to the California Space Authority that had been really been set up really to foster space enterprise, the aerospace industry in California, may keep it as a leader, the Boeings and the Lockheeds and the Raytheons of the world, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, for the United States competitiveness and against the countries that are now rising, you know, in, in the space race, China, India, et cetera, um, and they wanted to do something extraordinary as well as communicate and fostering uh, space development. They had planned to do a space center. They called it the California Space Center. It was arranged originally by an offer from Vandenberg Air Force Base, the commander about that, some seven, eight years ago. And they thought for sure that's where it's going to be. It made sense. People could watch the launches of rockets and, and satellites and everything going on there. And it was exciting. Unfortunately, last year, after all this effort and a lot of money raised federal money and donors and sponsors, they had to dissolve because the Air Force decided for whatever reasons that they couldn't have it there the way it was planned, and that just threw them into an implosion. And since I had contacted them and and we had multiple memorandums of understanding with the CSA that we wanted to do a green-to-gold incubator for space-based, earth-based enterprising, innovation, and make the whole center green, sustainable, renewably powered, make a showcase, and do some educational things for kids and outreach, we had all that in place and had this warm interaction with them. When they imploded and dissolved their organization, they told the mayor of Lompoc about us. And, and to make a very long and very involved story quick and short, we now have succeeded in a, a unanimous vote from Economic Development Committee for the region and the city of Lompoc, where this land is uh, located, as Ronaldo pointed out, next to Van Berg Air Force Base, which is, by the way, called Space Command. You know, you can't get more perfect than that. Um, we are doing this ENA, the exclusive negotiating agreement. We have a year, there's certain phases, and we're planning. We're going to be, my foundation that started to just propose small elements of it is taking the lead in putting a, together a quarter billion dollar project that will have an impact of somewhere near almost $3 billion, some 3,000 plus new jobs, 250,000 to a million new tourists for California and the region alone each year, thousands of school kids coming for space camps and science and technology and math and those kinds of skills, and uh, taxes, some 250 or something million dollars that have been estimated by an incredible study, economic impact study, that was done by the same folks that did Cape Canaveral, Kennedy, and all that. Let me, so let me just jump in here, Alan, because I want to make sure the name is clear. So what Alan's talking about is his proposal, which he now has the exclusive negotiating right to execute uh, for the 140-plus acres adjacent to Vandenberg, is called the California Space Enterprise Center. Right, and, and we cha- and thank you. We changed the complexion of it. We wanted to do exactly what NASA and the Feds and the Department of Defense and everybody's going for, and what SpaceX showed the whole world and and XCOR and all these other companies, private space 
enterprise, exploration, commercialization, all the spin-off technologies that will benefit mankind and the planet. And when you think about the three billionaires that are into space tourism, you know, Paul Allen from Microsoft, and we have Sir Richard Branson, and then we have uh, Elon Musk with SpaceX and Tesla, and now he's going to go into uh, apparently also space tourism. He, they have contracts with Vandenberg for launches. And, P- and Peter Diamantes, who's doing asteroid mining. Absolutely. Yeah, XPRIZE. When you think about all that's going on and what the world is excited once again about, what it means for education, stimulation, economic development, get new careers, new job paths, wealth development for investors, um, enterprises, which has been my well, daily I think it's going to be a huge time. shot in the arm for the California economy, no question, and a phenomenal shot in the arm for the educational system in California and the nation. And I think the nation itself is going to benefit in enormous ways. Don't I want our audience to stop for a moment and realize that it was just um, 10 days ago that a private entrepreneur, Elon Musk, was able to launch a spacecraft that successfully docked and delivered groceries to the space station. <laughs> and he's about to do one that can deliver astronauts at a time okay. when the American space program is grounded. Now, uh, again, just for those of us listeners who are not familiar, exactly what is going to be at the space center? What okay. what are the actual physical types of buildings, the physical activities, and, before you and who would be going there? Before you, and I want the public to know one of the people going there is the World Business Academy, Howard. We wrote uh-huh. a letter in support of Alan's uh, approach, and many people who listen to us don't know, but I was one of the first five space lawyers in America back in 1976-77. I had the great privilege of working with Jerry O'Neill, one of the leading space pioneers in the world's history, who was at that time the, the head of the Princeton Astrophysics Lab. So we at the Academy have been involved in, in analyzing this for a very, very long time, decades, literally. And uh, we sent a letter of support, and we intend to be there with Alan uh, with an educational effort. But, Alan, please continue on. I just wanted people to know we have an effect. We're not neutral here, Howard. We're, we're really excited about what Alan's doing. Go ahead, Alan. And we're, we're thrilled to have that advocacy and, and that excitement about that. It, it's, when you th- it's, by the way, the correction is about the actual acreage. It's something like when it's all done that we actually will have. Is some, the footprint is about 104 or something or 14 acres. But what counts here is what's about to happen. In phases, and, and we're in that fundraising now mode and talking to every sector, private investors, grants, sponsors, donation, government, anyone, fundraising, uh, donors, we're in that whole process now. We had, in fact, last night a citizen advisory meeting that's come together that represents all the sectors in the region of the industry and tourism and the wine industry and you know everything you can think of. But what's going to happen there? In addition to Green to Gold's incubator and, and a campus, an enterprise campus for fostering private space enterprise like never been done on this planet before, uh, done commercially, done with the help of our a nonprofit educational foundation, but also we have World Responsible Industries, a company that actually pledges its profits to our nonprofit to help it. They are in co-venturing and alliances and licensing, and they're going to strategically be there and help us with that as well as Green to Gold. So you have the incubator and the complex, then you have a museum, and you have a conference center. And what's great about that is one of the kickoff events, by the way, that we're now in talks, deep talks in planning with Allen Hancock College, which is our neighbor right there, and they got a bond issue. When you think about this complex near Lompoc and Vandenberg, they have passed a bond issue with the citizens supporting what's a $38 million complex right next door to us at the California Space Enterprise Center for California Safety Center, training highway patrolmen and police and firefighters and high-speed track and rescue. Right there, all of this is happening in this one incredible plot of land that's right outside of Vandenberg. And and what's nice about this is that we're planning an International Space Investment Summit in this winter in which we're going to have uh, one of our tech brew. That's a very famous event that we do, a mega mixer themed to the California Space Enterprise Center, a fundraiser, an awareness raiser. We're going to have our congressperson is working about inviting all the heads of the federal agencies to come and have a summit. We'll have an exhibition of space technology and vendors and companies and enterprises. And we'll have this space investment summit like it has been done. I was there two years ago ago in Chicago and um, was there to represent our venture groups and our angel groups and have 
companies that were private enterprise and space pitching for investment and talking about the future. So now we're going to host that. And they want to, as well as World Business Academy, they want to have a permanent location headquarters at this uh, center, the California Space Enterprise. Alan, do you have the dates yet? Are they still up? It looks we're thinking we're thinking January. It's all being worked on right now. We have a team of people, especially after last night. We're going in addition to the conference facility, there'll be a visitor center. There's going to be mission support for the company. You know, there's going to be a cluster, business cluster. When you think about all the rocket launches, there may be two a month or more starting next year, private and and the other ones that are done by the other force and government. And that's a lot of activity, and there's a lot of support. Those companies that are hiring in space enterprise, like SpaceX, et cetera, that will be there, want to be there, want to be in that cluster of innovation uh, that we can support, there's going to be a lot of opportunity there. So there's going to be a business cluster for that. People can rent space for their enterprises, for their vendors, their suppliers, and things like that. And the city is amazing about this, the support for this. There's other land that's beyond ours that could be zoned and is available as these companies spin off and grow larger and could be close to mission support. Um, I already mentioned we'll have the conference center. We're going to have uh, entertainment there. We're going to have educational things like the camps. Uh, space camps and temp, uh, you know, uh, camps and uh, STEM camps and you know, it's science, technology, engineering, mathematics. It, it's pretty an amazing center when it's all completed, but it's over a ten-year period, so we're doing this in phases. And the first ones out are going to be the ones that I think that will be vital to the idea of private space enterprise education and helping us create and build this an enormous center. We expect it to be a world-class attraction. It will be built in such a way that it's going to knock everybody's socks off from uh, the, the approach of how it's going to look, how it's going to be, not only sustainability, renewable. In fact, we, we expect to not only power the whole center independently with renewable energy, but be a showcase for that and have excess energy, net energy, to give to the city of Lompoc or the region, farmers or whatever, and, and let that be a showcase. We want to be current all the time, incorporating new technologies, new advances, let everybody get excited when they come to see this. But the concept is a space station, and I believe it or not, it will be just as if it was off in orbit or on the moon or Mars or whatever. It's going to be for real as the attraction central piece and built in such a way that it will be just like you would do it, self-contained, recycling waste, water, energy, uh, a very exciting thing for people to come to from all over the world. Certainly going to be a plus for California and, and the United and States. I can't resist putting on a plug for um, the book Jerry O'Neill did called The High Frontier. If you ever want to see and really understand well what the dynamics are that he's Alan's referring to, but how does a space station have to operate so that it, it basically creates its own energy, uses its own energy, always disposes of all its own waste, et cetera. So a closed-loop sustainable system, read Jerry O'Neill's book, The High Frontier. Uh, you'll be glad that you did, and you'll understand better what Alan's saying. Now, Alan, just one more question, and that is, to me, this is a classic sort of a public-private uh, venture. It's, 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 it's a way to engage private industry with a public good, i.e., the educational purposes that you've, you've spoken about, and also to create kind of like a nucleus from which the space industries of the future could be erupted. Do you see this as the potential of being something like what Xerox Park and um, HP were to launch Silicon Valley 40 years ago? Is that, Ab is that Absolutely. That, uh, Renato, that's a perfect analogy for what we're trying to do. What is kind of wonderful is that our nonprofit exempt 501c3 40-year foundation is the mothership for this. <laughs> it's a funny term to use uh, with space stuff, mothership. Nice and fun. then and and you're right. It, it's the city and government working with a nonprofit on f originally federal land that was set aside for a Western Space and Missile Museum and Science Center that never happened because the space shuttle never came to the West Coast as originally planned. So it is this coalition, and that's why there's investment opportunity for for angel private investors, venture investors. There's opportunities for grants, there's sponsorships that could be happen. Um, we envision some pretty fascinating opportunities for sponsors. We want everyone that's excited about the future, about what we could do to help the planet and, and explore space and create new technology, new jobs, uh, to get excited about this. Participate. And I want to underscore something, Alan, that I know from your 30, 40 years as, an, as a green-to-gold entrepreneur. You're not saying let's go to space and forget about saving the planet. What you're saying is we can learn. First of all, we can create a tremendous amount of jobs and increase our educational level as the as the original space 
program did under Kennedy. But what you're saying is that we sometimes the answers for sustainability lie in space where we can see how it is we have to live with everything in our own closed-loop system called planet Earth, or yep. as Bucky Fuller said, spaceship Earth. Right. And as you know, I was privileged and thrilled and honored, and one of the last things that Bucky Fuller did was a book that I did with him, and Madar Gabal from The World Game with Bucky Fuller's Forward was about uh, energy options for man. And with whether you believe climate change is real or not, you everybody they just had a study came out a couple of days ago by hundreds of scientists saying that we are infecting the environment and we got to get doing something about this. But just from a pollution standpoint, and energy and water needs and food needs for a growing world population, the lessons from space, the possible spinoffs of technology, and the ones that are actually in in the pipeline now are going to have a dramatic impact on survivability of the humankind on this planet. And then the challenge and the opportunity for us to be the colonizers we are meant to be and go to the different to the moon mars and, and explore space and asteroid asteroid mining for resources it's just an amazing exciting thing in the new frontier is just what it is the new i just want i want to before, before you jump in let me just remind you um we probably have time for maybe one more question or comment from alan okay uh, it's a fascinating project but we also do have to keep moving on right. to this very busy schedule today and I think it's. I think actually we've covered it all. I just the part I was going to underscore, Howard, is if Alan is even five percent right, if there's five percent of what he's saying is right, people need to see this as explosive as the explosion that occurred in Silicon Valley 35, 40 years ago. Meaning, no one could have predicted that we would have iPads today. They couldn't even have predicted three years ago, let alone 40 years ago. The technology that we spun out of Silicon Valley, which basically runs the whole world, the Internet just being one portion of it, that technology has given us a style of life and a productivity unmatched in human history. What Alan's saying is there's this whole next layer we can go to, whether it's in microbiology, whether it's in uh, biology that we learn from, from space, whether it's the biology we, we apply on Earth, whether it's uh, closed-loop systems, whether it's energy systems, uh, management of waste systems, all of these things, together with the commercialization of space, with the resources that will bring, not unlike what happened when Western society discovered the New World in the first place, and it enriched the entire civilizations, we believe, and I think Alan's right, and I certainly believe, that he's standing at the threshold of he's even 5% right, what he's saying will revolutionize how everybody on the planet will live from here on out. How could I better Alan? that? How could I better that? That's uh, absolutely ditto, great. Ditto, ditto, ditto. Right. Okay. With that, Alan, I'd like to thank you personally, not only for coming on the show, but also for what you're doing and for what you've done in the past. That's a great record and a great track record, and we hope to hear more about this down the road. I thank you both. Appreciate it. All the best, Alan. Count us for continued support. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm going to mute your microphone now, Alan, but hopefully you'll stick around for the rest of the show. Sure will. Enjoy it. Thank you. Ronaldo, it's time to move on to our lightning round. And again, this is a slightly different version of what we're doing, usually talking about different asset classes, because we did want to hit some of our questions that have come in relative to these assets. And again, for those of our listeners who may be new, Lightning Round is a series of quick insights and comments on various asset classes, such as bonds, equities, gold, and real estate. Again, with special emphasis this week on the upside in the U.S. housing market, the latest situation in Europe, and how the environmental and economic issues related to natural gas fracking affect all of us. Uh, We also had some questions about silver, whether that's a reasonable investment, and what's the latest on the euro. So full plate, Ronaldo, fire away. Yeah, let's do first on the silver question. Uh, A a listener named Melissa, who's retired um, and uh, has a certain amount of money she wanted. She's actually a retired Canadian woman living in Mexico. And she asked specifically after the last radio show, could we give her our advice on the purchase of silver? Uh, for those of you who are regular listeners, you know that I really don't approve of silver purchases. Um, there's several reasons why. Uh, and by the way, I'm, uh, there are other voices in, in the alternative economic community who may not agree with this, but although silver has many uses for a growing industrial economy, I don't see enough evidence today that sh- tells me that we're going to have a growing industrial economy in the next year or two. There's things we could do to create it, but they're not happening just yet and I talked about uncertainty a while ago. I'll come back to that in a minute. That very uncertainty is what's keeping a, a, a vibrant industrial um, uh, explosion, if you will, from occurring. 
But specifically with silver, the biggest problem, I have two things with problem with silver. Number one, it is such an easy market to manipulate. Some of you will remember the Hunt brothers manipulating it uh, back a couple of decades ago. Uh, unlike gold, silver is something that you can run up and you can run it down. I've given people this advice for many years, and I say, you know what? Silver, is you've got to be so sophisticated, and you have to be able to time your moves in and out like a pro. It's not suitable for the average investor. In fact, I'll go further. I consider myself a very sophisticated investor. I'm not good enough to play in silver. Uh, I once had a, this happen within just uh, seven months ago. Uh, a very good friend of mine named Carol uh, wanted to get into silver, and I warned her against it. And, of course, she bought at the high and lost a ton of money. And what I said to her then, which is I'm saying now to our listener, Melissa, Melissa, it's not a safe asset for you. It's not going to preserve your nest egg. It could easily go up. It could just as easily go down. And the trouble is it would do either by manipulation more readily than it would by actual practical underlying values. So I would say avoid it. I continue to be a big believer. If you want to invest something in a solid asset that's going to pay a lot of current interest, remember, silver doesn't pay interest, what I would do is buy Brazilian industrial development bonds. Um, uh, right now, the, the real is recovered from its low of 48. It's back up around 49. I think the real will go higher, which means the value of these bonds will appreciate. But at, at 49 to the dollar, at, at 0.49 to the dollar, the real, you'll be receiving at least 8 9% interest payable. What, what is it? Once every six months? Or, is it, Howard? Uh, it varies depending on the bonds. It can Quarterly be or every six, six months. months, yeah, but, yep. but it depends on the bonds. You can get a 9% return, and I would argue that the government of Brazil is less likely to have financial problems than the government of the United States. And you certainly can't get a 9% return buying U.S. Treasuries. Right. So I would, just... be buying in, I would be buying into things like that where I have more confidence in the underlying economy of the country of Brazil than I do in the manipulation of the silver market. Howard, are you going to add something? Yes, I do. Just sort of my, my standard uh, wealth advisor warning um, that Brazil bonds, like many other assets, can be highly volatile because of the currency exchange issues and the nature of the bonds themselves, and that these are not for conservative, fiscally conservative investors, nor are they a substitute for trying to put money in money market. They're not a short-term, short-hold asset. Um, you need to go in and be very careful with these as any asset that you're buying. Well, in fact, I'll go further and say I, I wouldn't want to recommend to anybody listening to this show that they consider themselves a trader. So anything that you think you have to trade in and out of quickly, don't get it. Don't get involved. So if you can't hold these Brazilian industrial bonds for years, you know, five years, as part of, and I'm quoting Melissa from her email, her nest egg, you can't hold it, don't buy it. But if you can't hold it, these kinds of assets are are, are very, very uh, uh, desirable. In addition, uh, what, what she did mention is she has Canadian government treasury bills. I just wanted to say um, I think Canadian government treasury bills are very good. They're strong. I think the country of Canada, as everyone knows, when the, you know, America has a sneeze, Canada gets a cold. However, in the economy I see developing globally, Canada's rich natural resources, together with its, its in, 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 increasingly um, affluent domestic population and consumption patterns, I think Canada has a better chance of coming through with a solid Canadian dollar in the years ahead than the deflation I see conceivably uh, of the U.S. dollar uh, from, from basically all the dollars the U.S. has printed where the Canadians have not. So if I had to stay where you were now as opposed to moving, Canadian Treasury bills are probably better than the U.S., but you're just not getting much interest. Howard, do you want to add anything before to the next one? Uh, no, I think we should probably hit the, the fracking question because that's actually a leftover from last Well, let me do one more month. that came in from a listener about real estate. Uh, Ray, in Northern California, asked me the other day, he wanted to buy a, a duplex uh, in the names of his two children, who are both adult males who graduated from college and are successful in their own careers. And he was buying something, he thought, which could appreciate over their lifetime and generate current cash flow. And his question was, Ronaldo, I heard the last show, and I heard you say that it's a great time to buy real estate because the prices are as low as they're going to be, and now that the market's moving up in the residential sector, you'll see the price of real estate going up, and because of the all-time low mortgage rates. And, I, and, I, and therefore, I, I think it's a good time to buy that asset. And what I wanted to say to Ray and did, and I want to say to the rest of you, I also added in that program, I don't want you to invest in real estate as an investment yet. There's too much uncertainty. 
So if you need a house, and you know you're going to live there for the next 5, 10, 15 years, by all means, the greatest time to buy right now. The prices are the lowest they'll be in the next two decades, most likely, unless something traumatic happens, and we can talk about that in a moment with regard to the election. But short of something traumatic happening to the U.S. economy, if you need a place to live, and even if it is something traumatic, you still need a place to live, you might as well buy it while the prices are low and the mortgage rates are the lowest you'll see in your lifetime. Don't buy it. Let me add some caveats to that, too, as well, Ronaldo, just to people who, who are not traditionally real estate investors are aware of this, that the interest rates you get on mortgages for properties which you live in, home ownership, versus those which you use as rental or business property are different. You can pay as much as three-quarters to a point more percentage uh, for a business property, rental property, and you do not get a tax write-off um, on income for the interest that you pay against your house. So those are the areas you need to factor into any decision relative to buying any sort of business-oriented or commercial real estate. That last comment, though, I mean, and I believe this could be subject to change with the tax policy change, but you do get a deduction for the interest on your own personal home mortgage. Yes. Yeah, up to a maximum. So, right. so the, 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 uh, the point is, if you're buying, I'm not urging people yet to buy real estate as an investment. I'm saying keep your powder dry. However, if you need a place to live, and that's increasing, that pressure exists. Prices of houses is, are going up from here on out, short of a catastrophic financial calamity, which we're going to discuss in a minute. And what you're going to see is interest rates will not stay forever at these historic lows, mortgage rates. So if you're going to have to have a house anyway, and you're willing to sit it out and live there and develop your life, now would be the time to buy, but not yet for investment. That's the point I wanted to make. I made it to Ray in the email, and I want to make it to everyone of our listeners as well. Uh, before touching on fracking, the only other thing I wanted to mention is we, we had a, another comment that came in from Lisa, not Melissa. Melissa was the silver comment, about the euro. And I just want to, I want to talk real quickly about compatible currencies. Lisa wrote me a very thoughtful email. Uh, Lisa, the new book that the, the Academy just published on May 31st is called Money and Sustainability, the Missing Link. It's a report from the Club of Rome uh, to the World Business Academy, uh, and for the benefit of the euro, talks about compatible currencies. I urge you to get a copy from the Academy. Just write, and you'll see it. It's very easy for you to read. It's not the kind of monetary theory that a layperson can't understand. Uh, I'm saying this to you because you asked specifically about whether or not Greece could have a complementary currency. It can. You mentioned Argentina had a failure at that. That's not quite correct. Argentina thought about putting in a complementary currency and, in fact, didn't uh, have any consequence. What Argentina did is they called the bluff of the International Monetary Fund and by calling that bluff, which was, they said, stop pushing austerity on us and we'll rebuild our country, the IMF said to Argentina, we are going to cut you off from global, and you'll collapse because we'll cut you off from global uh, bond indebtedness. Argentine said, we'll take that risk, took the risk, completely re- went, were completely cut off from all forms of international debt, and within three years their economy was flying at rates in excess of 8% compounded annually under Kirchner. Now, what's interesting about that story is they chose to build, rather than austerity, build their economy. And by doing that, guess what happened? They repaid the IMF every single penny in debt that was in jeopardy. So the moral of the story, which now has been repeated again in Europe, where you've got 350 million people living, where austerity was being jammed down their throat, and the people of Europe are saying through their electoral process, enough with this austerity craziness, you can never cut your way to prosperity, if you want to pay your debts back, you've got to grow your economy. You stimulate the economy to growth, and then you balance by paying your debts down and you balance your budgets. You can't do what Herbert Hoover tried to do, which was to pay the debt down first. Because when you do that, you get a collapse, which is what happened in 1929. And it took Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the New Deal to get us out of it, and a world, and a world war, by the way. We don't want to have to go to that extreme again. So I just want to touch on that very quickly and say that I urge you, uh, Lisa, because it was a thoughtful email, get a copy of this publication, this book. It's excellent. And then send us another email and and see how it may have changed your thinking and take a look at uh, the whole Argentine situation again as well. So thanks for those two comments. Uh, Next, we did have a comment on fracking. And, uh, uh, Howard, that is such a big topic. I'm I'm not sure where we want to go with it, except I would like people to know that in the state of Pennsylvania, which has been really gung-ho about fracking, just on the 9th of July, just a 
couple days ago, Duke University put out a report that pretty conclusively proves that what the industry has been saying, i.e., that the water, the, the chemicals won't migrate into the wells, is categorically false. So the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences has said that a chemical analysis of 426 shallow groundwater samples found matches from the fracking area to the water people were drinking. And this is suggests that the paths that that gas or water flows definitely goes into our drinking water. Now, the, there is clear evidence also, as I've reported in the last show, of earthquakes that were caused around Columbus, Ohio, by the massive injection of the used water from fracking. So I think you're going to see more and more evidence on fracking. And when the Environmental Protection Agency ever forces, and I think they will do so if Obama's reelected, by the way, if they ever force the industry to report the chemicals that are used in that fracking, the public will rise up and say, stop this insanity when our drinking water is at stake. So you've already got one state, I believe it's Vermont, has banned fracking. You have another state, New York, thinking about it, and it's on, it's on a temporary hold right now. Pennsylvania just got this Duke report on July 9th. My guess is that people are going to get incredibly smart about fracking, even though we all know that fracking has led to a boom in natural gas, and the price of natural gas has plummeted as a result, yielding a very good financial opportunities. I've reported on the show nine, ten months ago, at least maybe a year ago, how you can get into owning the pipelines that deliver this natural gas or at least owning the rate charge fee as the gas goes through. Uh, and I've given you several suggestions on that in prior programs, and we could do more if people want. But for the fracking issue, will fracking continue between now and the election? Yes. If Obama's reelected, will it continue afterwards? For a time, yes. But at some point, I think the pressure on this administration from reports like the Duke one will cause the administration to have to release the chemicals that are in that because those chemicals are ending up in groundwater. And for those of you who didn't know, there's one Philadelphia um, suburb which has already received a settlement um, because the EPA was able to prove that they were present. Uh, by the way, there's the one in um, in Wyoming and near the town of Pavilion. There was there's uh, fracking chemicals have been found in the water there. Uh, the, uh, the 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 little town uh, Dimmick has had drinking water um, pollution and there was a 4.1 million dollar judgment against Cabot Oil and Gas for that one. So there's, there's a lot of things happening, and at some point, the insurance industry is going to say, wait a minute, is this a safe thing for us to be insuring or not? And at that point, we'll see a different view of fracking. Is there another specific question on fracking we should touch on? No, no, I think that's pretty much covered fracking, and I think it's actually time to move on to our last topic. We've got 15 minutes left in the show. And again, to repeat the topic, the question is, what is the likelihood that the U.S. economic recovery will continue through November's elections, and if it does, whether it will be stronger, relatively flat like now, or even slower. And again, this is not what's happening after, but where do we think we're going up to the election, and what are the, what's at stake, really? Okay. Now, for those of you who have never heard this program before, um, we at the Business Academy are scrupulously nonpartisan, meaning we don't support Democrats because they're Democrats, we don't support Republicans because they're Republicans. But what we do do, which is very different, is we call them like we see them. And when we see something that's worth complimenting on either side of the aisle, we do so. When we think there is a, a reason to be concerned, we also do so. And by the way, I want to, uh, again, congratulate um, CBS for putting Charlie Rose on in the morning radio. If you haven't seen the morning show on Charlie Rose, those are starting to be really good, hard-hitting interviews, and they're starting to actually do news. And if you want to see a show that's very entertaining, that basically slams the American news media for trivializing the news, I recommend you see the HBO show Newsroom. It's an excellent Absolutely drama. wonderful news show. Excellent. Show. It really attacks the press for being basically so shallow. Now, the reason I say that is because I don't think the press is doing a good job helping people understand what the ele issues are in this election. So let me put it this way to you. The uncertainty that the business community has, which is why they're sitting on trillions of dollars, is they don't know whether they're going to have to play ball straight with the a continuation of the Obama industry or whether or not all restraints will be taken off them and it'll be happy times, here we come. If Obama is reelected and he can hold at least one house of the Congress, I just told you I see 2 to 2.5% 2 GDP growth this year. Next year, that will be 3 to 3.5%. 3 
and the year after will go even higher. So serious, sustainable economic growth is on the horizon if Obama's reelected. You know, one of, the, one of the th- number I want to throw out there, Ronaldo, is that even though unemployment remains high at over 8%, that in the past three and a half years since Obama came into office, we have seen a 25% drop in unemployment well, from 25%. over 10% to, to over eight, just over 8%. Yeah, That's and you've all not an insignificant number. Yeah, and, and people get, get concerned that we only added uh, 70,000 jobs last month should stop and think that's better than losing 700,000, which is what happened the first month he took office. So we've turned a 700,000 a month loss in jobs to a 70,000 a month plus, and that's not a particularly strong plus. Now, the other thing people have to stop and realize is this is in the face of the headwind of constant firing because so many states are now run by Republican governors who are trying austerity. So what's really happening is more police are being fired, more teachers are being fired, more firemen are being fired. I mean, in fact... The very town that went up in flames two weeks ago in Colorado in part had a problem because it had fired its firemen. So we ended up, through the federal level, having to pay to fight that fire. So it's like people have to realize you need firemen, you need policemen, and you need teachers. And when you fire them all, it not only causes the unemployment rate to go up, it destroys the middle class. So what's really at stake in this election, I want to make it crystal clear, and because it's in everybody's economic interest. You heard it the first part of the program. I said real estate's going to continue up. It will if Obama's reelected. It will not. Absolutely will not if Romney is. And I'll explain why. Number two, if you like the couple of billion we've already saved on affordable health care, and you'd like to save two and a half to five billion more, and you'd like to save 40% of the American drug bill, that will only happen if Obama's reelected. It will not happen if Romney's reelected. So what will happen if Romney's elected? Very simple. There will be a boomlet. It'll last from November for six months, nine months at the most, where all the fat cats, the top 1% and 2%, will be drinking champagne out of lady slippers, just like they did in 1929 before the crash, and just like Maria Antoinette said, let them eat cake before the French Revolution. There will be a crash in this country and globally, and it's tied in part to the global financial system. That's why I referred to the book the Academy just did on money and sustainability. You need to know that the global financial system is so fragile, and we'll give you a good example in a second, that that combined with the Romney election, where we basically you will see the pigs at the trough, and they don't realize, like they did in 2008, that if you over-suck at the trough, you kill yourself as well as everybody else financially and economically. So what I'm predicting is an economic collapse, if Romney's elected, greater than was occurring in the 1929 Depression. I'm going on record saying that. I've done it twice before in two earlier shows, that that's what I thought would happen. I'm now certain that will happen. So if you don't want to be part of a depression, if you don't want to see the global financial system collapse, what you have to do is step up to the bat and see to it that politicians start telling you the truth about what they're really going to do, demand that you get explanations for what their policies will be, particularly if the only thing that the Romney Republicans have to say is that Obama's to blame for the economy. If that's all they can say, and they can't say, here's what we're going to do, A, B, C, D. If, and, and the only A I heard was the one that, um, that clearly, loudly is we're going to repeal Affordable Health Care Act, which is an insane thing to do for the American middle class. And it's worth noting, Ronaldo, that yesterday the House, under the Republicans, voted for the 33rd time to repeal the act, which obviously will not go nowhere since they don't control the Senate or the presidential veto. Um, and it's it's infantile, it's juvenile, and more importantly, it's what Nero did when he was fiddling and Rome was burning. The issue is jobs. By the way, I'll give you another one that, that really cries my patootie. I can't believe that a man is running for president of the United States, first time in the history of the United States, who's been stashing money in hundreds of millions of dollar increments in overseas tax havens. I can't believe that he would push, create a so-called blind trust, which is nowhere near blind. That blind, the day before he took office as governor of Massachusetts, I mean, people need to wake up and smell the coffee. Now, if there was a good reason to elect a Republican who had a program that was reasonable to, to establish economic growth or to improve the con- economy or the country, I'd be the first guy to sign up for it. The problem is this race is about greed. 
this radius is about unmitigated greed. It's the 1% and 2% do not want to let go of what they got, and they think they can have it better. And the trouble is they don't realize, like the old metaphor, you, if, you don't, if you're not careful, you will kill the goose that's laying the golden egg. So right now we need to desperately rebuild the middle class in this country. Everybody who's familiar with the show knows I've been saying that for a couple of years. We need to do that. Is Obama free of, 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 of warts? Absolutely not. You've heard me criticize him in this program, and I'll do it again. I believe, however, that the program that he's outlined, which is affordable health care stays in place and probably gets expanded. We have to do infrastructure spending. We have to grow the economy before we worry about debt reduction. All of these are the correct. We have to rehire the cops, the firemen, and the teachers. We have to stop with the trickle-down economics and start with the trickle-up economics. And last but not least, as he proposed three days ago, which I am completely in favor of, take and pass the Bush tax cuts for everybody who makes $250,000 a year or less, but not pass the tax cuts for the wealthy. For the lot, the top 1% or 2%, they're not hurting. And by the way, they don't spend those tax refunds anyway. They put them in savings or they put them into the market. So let's get rational. Let's realize that we are at stake here. We have a tremendous amount of stake. Now let me go back to the business community. I talked about the uncertainty. Well, the uncertainty is there. But even when Obama is reelected, that uncertainty will go away. Why? Because people will then know what's likely to happen next. The problem we have today, and I believe it was Jeffrey Sachs who said this recently on television, normally you have uncertainty in the economy that creates political uncertainty. Who's going to win lose? This last two years, it's been the opposite. The uncertainty is created in the political system, which is therefore creating uncertainty in the economy. There's no reason we can't grow this economy at 3 to 3.5%, as I predicted we will next year if Obama's reelected. There's no reason we can't. There's no reason we can't have the housing that's uh, starting to rise, continue to rise indefinitely for many, many, many months and years. There's no reason we can't build new industries like what you heard Alan Tratner talk about, space-based industries. It would relaunch the country and the world, as the Silicon Valley did 40 years ago. There's no reason we can't start to deal with food shortages, water shortages, and frankly, climate change, because we have to deal with climate change. And I might add, Ronaldo, that for these things to truly happen, businesses have to be leaders in this area. And they will become leaders if, in fact, they see that they, too, can be a successful, profitable business. And those opportunities do exist. Oh, um, we call those, Howard, as you know, Sunrise right. Industries. Right. And again, I want to mention, too, that we're down to our last three minutes. And, Ronald, I want to ask you if you have any last-minute comments you'd like to wrap up with this month, any last-minute uh, ideas well, for our the, listeners. The, the biggest idea is, is the one we've talked about before on the show, and I want to reiterate it. What is it that each of you can do to make a difference? Well, number one, get educated. You, you can't allow yourself to think that what you're seeing, even if it's on so-called news on television, and I'm even talking about what's you know somewhat reputable news like NBC, the CBS Evening Show, that that sort of thing. You can't listen to that and expect that you're going to know anything. All you're going to get is happy talk. You know you're going to you're going to get a lot of uh, romance, violence, and, and sex appeal, and happy talk, and not a whole lot else. We as a citizen, and Jefferson said this best: the price of democracy is an informed citizenry. We absolutely have to learn about the issues. We have to get informed, and then we have to actually do something about it. The fellow who, who got me thinking about this show this week, his name is Robert. And I hope he's listening. came up to me at a gathering at my house last week and said, you know, Ronaldo, I often vote Republican, but I just don't hear what Romney's going to do that will make it better, and at least I see what Obama's trying to do and that they're blocking. Am I looking at it right? Because here's what I see. And they started to give me a series of facts, all of which were correct. And I said, Robert, what you just did is exactly what everybody has to do. Stop and learn the facts and then proceed to tell your neighbors. Write a small check because when, you're get, when, the, when Obama's getting up spent eight or nine to one, the problem is that people will believe all those commercials. So get responsible, learn what you need to know, get out there, and make a difference with your life. And here's the good news. In every depression... Take the last of the great 25% unemployment. 
I think this one will go higher, maybe 30. As long as we can contain the violence, that means 70% of the people are working. That can be you. But it can only be you if you know what the sunrise opportunities are, not what the sunset ones were. So it's time for sunrise industries, sunrise thinking. It's time for reinvention. It's time for renewal. And it's time for us to choose consciously to move to the next level of the game in the economy, in our political systems, and most importantly, in our private lives. So that's my exhortation and my hope for all of us is that we will achieve that level of discipline to learn the facts and act on them. Ronaldo, thank you very much. I also want to thank Alan again for his contributions to this week's show, this month's show. Uh, as a reminder to those of you who have sent in emails in the past and those who would like to ask questions or raise issues, you can email us at info at worldbusiness.org and that our next uh, call and show will be in August on the 9th at 11 a.m. And again, as always, it's the second Thursday of the month. And, and uh, Howard, also, uh, I just want to make people know, too, we're, we're gonna, we didn't have time. We had uh, part of a show we were going to do today, which I'm going to do next month for sure, on the collapse of Peregrine, where they took investors' money, uh, on the um, what's happening in the Spanish bank bailout, because it's, in a sense, tied, and how this all relates to what uh, Keating did with Lincoln Savings and Loan and that great scandal. Scandals, scandals galore in the past few weeks. Yeah, and, and why why the Volcker rules tied to all of it. So, and Jamie Dimon and the $2 billion that he thought he lost that we told you last time was actually 3 and climbing. Uh, now everybody says it's at least 5 to $9 billion and climbing. So we were right on that one as well. And what I want to do is just flag that's a subject. What is it that you are buying when you think you're buying something at your local savings and loan or bank? Right, a very, very necessary things to be aware of. Um, and with that, I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in today and hope to uh, be with you next month again. Thanks, Thanks again everyone. for listening. Right. Thank you, Ronaldo, and bye-bye. Thank you, Howard.